continuing on, but he said, may it never be. He's not fully finished with the Jewish people. And he has a remnant. That's what he's dealing with. But by their transgression, the nation as a whole and the, the institution of religion and priesthood, salvation, because they fell, has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. He's saying God purposely did that too, not only to show grace and favor and take up the Gentiles as a special people and not the Jews as a whole. That's what he's talking about. He said it'll make them jealous. See, because they thought they were special and they began to despise the Gentile. They were supposed to be a light, a nation of light, a priest to the whole world. They failed at it. Instead of being gracious and trying to help the nations, they despised them. They looked down on them. See, they thought they were so special. They misread that, okay? And God says, I'll choose them and make them jealous. Well, it was still working because before Pentecost, even Peter, he asked the Lord before he ascended in the cloud, he said, when will we restore Israel? See? And God said, that's not for you to know. That's none of your business. He knew it wasn't going to be for a couple thousand years. See, he was a Jew, and he wanted Israel to be special like it always was. And he thought the Messiah would set up his kingdom immediately. Even disciples thought that. They were wrong. And after Pentecost, the disciples never asked that question again because they know there is not going to be no nation of Israel that's in God's favor while they're living. And God in 40 years is going to destroy it. And he's going to work with the church. Anybody who comes into the church, Gentile or Jew. So he doesn't ask that question anymore. And Jesus said, when I go away and the spirit comes, he'll show you things that you can't bear now. Well, one of the things was that the Gentiles would be favored over the Jewish people. Well, again, that provoked even Peter to jealousy because he was raised the same way that Jews were privileged and special. Even if most of them were hypocrites, that's how they thought. But he was wrong. And he don't talk about that anymore. So Paul wants to explain that. Okay. And so he says what? He's given his special privileges and it's made them jealous. It's like a man divorcing his wife and she still has some kind of love for him and whatever the reasons are, he finds another one and it provokes her to jealousy. And so he's using that as a, in some cases, a, well, he didn't divorce Israel completely because he got the remnant. But as a whole, he divorced her and abolished his relationship with her because they were rebellious and they failed and they did not keep the commandments or the covenant. Okay. And so we see he laid aside, but later on he will take up and fulfill certain promises that he made. During the millennium, he's going to fulfill the promise that you'll be chief among the nations. See, he'll start off in the millennium, and Israel will be where the Lord abides, and all the nations will send ambassadors, and Israel will be the chief of nations. And that's part of the prophecy being fulfilled in the natural world. And then it'll eventually end, but he would have kept his word. And there'll be a special people again. But because of their willful rebellion continuously against God, God decided to lay them aside and reject the people as a whole. 
But as a whole, that's what he did. So when people tell you Jews are chosen, they're not. They're no special relationship unless they've come to the Lord. Uh-huh. Now, one day when he comes and saves them and enters the millennium, Ezekiel said, I saw the bones come upon bones and the flesh upon the flesh. Well, that could be happening now. He's forming things with Israel, but not the individual. They're not saved no more than any person in the world is saved that doesn't come to the Lord. He said, but one day he'll breathe in them and they will live. And that's when the nation will be born again. And when he delivers them from the Antichrist and sets up the millennium, that's when that'll happen. But right now they're dead in their sins and their trespasses like any Gentile is. Okay. Then we look at Acts, Acts 7. They're getting ready to stone Stephen because he did preach the gospel. But look what he said. You see why they wanted to stone him. They thought they were so special and, and everything, and they were wicked and deceived. 51 to 53. You, he's speaking to Jewish leaders, the priests, the fair, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in the heart. What is he saying? What Paul said, you're not true Jews. Your father's the devil. That's what Jesus told them. When they said, Abraham's our father, he said, your father's the devil. He didn't mince no words with them. So they were outwardly circumcised, like many millions of people are outwardly baptized, and all they did was get wet. They're not saved. It didn't do a bit of good. The baptism should be after the heart has changed, not before. Okay? He said, you always resist the Holy Spirit. He's speaking of generation after generation as a whole, failed Jehovah and broke the covenant, did not keep it, and he got tired of it. As your fathers did, you're doing. The fathers killed the prophets. They don't want to hear what they had to say when they tried to get them to repent and get right with the Lord. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? See? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of Christ. They killed the prophets, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. He was saying, me and some of the Christians you put to death, you're fulfilling scripture. That's what he's saying. James, the apostle, not the half-brother, he may have already been killed at this time because this was several years, and he was the first one they, they cast off the temple they say it's two, three hundred feet down into the ravine. They wanted him to repent and to renounce Jesus, and he wouldn't, and they cast him down. So he was really the first of the great apostles to die for the faith. Betrayers and murderers, okay, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. He was saying, you were so special when God delivered the ball. To Moses and the tablets, angels came and did it. They were sent by God. You were so privileged, but you didn't keep it. And then they stoned Stephen to death. They gnashed on him with their teeth. They were so angry. They wanted to kill him. You see, there was no repentance. They were hardened. The demons had already taken control. And Jesus said, you'll murder me like your father, because you're like your father. And he was a murderer from the beginning. He was talking about the devil tempting Cain to kill Abel. And God warned Cain, resist it. Don't let it overtake you. 
and Cain didn't listen. And out of jealousy, he killed his righteous brother. Uh But the credit's given also to the devil. He instituted the first murderer. He was behind a lot of it. He tempted. But Cain didn't have to yield, but he did. So he said, you're like your father, a murderer, and you'll do his work. So he was letting them know, your father's not Jehovah. You're not in covenant with him because you don't keep the law. All of your activities are false because you're wicked. So he didn't mince no words with them. You can see why they hated Jesus. 11, 12. Now, if their fall or transgression is the riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, the whole world, how much more will their fulfillment be? He's saying if the Gentiles have benefited from their fall, if they've been offered all the privileges and the graces, and they were given more than the people in the law. He said grace and truth came through Christ. It did not to that great degree come to the Jews under covenant. He offered them a better covenant. He made them a more privileged people. He said and because of their fall, that's what happened. God went to them. So he said, well, how much better, he said, will it be if they come back? And many will. And the nation will on a day. And there may only be a few hundred thousand left, but they will. And now even Jews sometimes are saved. I said, the remnant's still being saved. They're coming to the Lord. Okay. He said, how glorious will it be? He meant when God sets up the kingdom again in the millennium and has destroyed the Gentile powers of the wicked people, Israel will be chief among the nation. How glorious. And she wanted that to happen when she wasn't prepared for it. And Israel wanted that to happen when they were too wicked. And they wanted to be delivered from the Romans, and God didn't want them delivered from the Romans because he wanted them to be punished for their wickedness. They hadn't repented, and they were arrogant, and they thought God should defend them, and he didn't. He did not consider them true Jews, okay? So they therefore were not considered in covenant. So the fall of rejection of the Jewish people as a whole was riches and privileges for the Gentile nations, for the whole world. And he said, how wonderful when nation is taken up again. And those words, he said, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He promises through Abraham and David that I'm going to fulfill some of these things later on. The people as a whole, they're not worth messing with. They've spurned my grace, so I'm not messing with them. So the church age is full of grace and mercy, and it's mostly Gentiles, but there's still a remnant. And like we say, the first six and eight years, the foundation was laid by the apostles and disciples, and they were Christian Jews. Okay, For salvation is of the Jews. Salvation was in Christ Jesus. He has made unto us salvation, and he was a Jew. Okay? 13, but I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, nations. Uh, Gentiles means just any nation, any people or nation that's not Jewish. So that's simply what it means. And as much then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. He had this special call. None of the 12 got. But the 12 laid the foundation. Paul did not. Paul had to submit to the foundation. If he didn't go to Jerusalem and consent 
to meet him with James and Peter, his ministry would have been vain. None of the Christian Jews that later would recognize him, and neither would the Lord. He was sent by revelation. The Lord, you, you submit to this foundation. And Paul was a little proud. He thought, well, they didn't add nothing to me. It didn't matter. He was told to do it. It was like the king that had leprosy was told to go to Israeli prophet by his handmaiden. So he went, and the prophet wouldn't hardly see him. He said, go home and wash, wash in the River Jordan. And he got insulted. He said, I thought he'd come down and wave his hand, treat him like he was special. He wouldn't even see him. He said, tell him to go wash. And his servant said, he just asked you to do something simple. You'd do something great. So he humbled himself. And when he dipped in the River Jordan, he was cleansed of his leprosy. So sometimes God can humble spiritual people. He can use a babe to do it and confound them. See, Paul warns about spiritual pride. He said, when you restore a fallen Christian, he said, in the spirit of grace, you don't sit there and think, oh, I'm better and I'm glad that didn't happen to me. And you have no business instructing people if you have that attitude. He said, take heed. He said, take heed lest you fall. So he said, anybody's subject, if they don't watch themselves and stay in grace. So Paul said, take heed. When, when you think you stand, that means you're getting built up in arrogance. You think you're special because maybe you have certain gifts and callings. But when people do that, a king did that, Uzziah. And he was a good king and he did good things. And one day he decided to go into the temple and offer a sacrifice that only the high priest and the priest family was to do. And they withstood him, 80 of them, and said, you can't do this. And he got angry with them. He was going to proceed to go and offer it. And the Bible says while he got angry, leprosy struck him. And he began to run out the temple, and the priests were pushing him because they knew God would kill him. And they had to cleanse the work, and he remained a leper the rest of his life because of his spiritual pride. So there's consequences, and Christians can be punished and reap things the same as of the old. And some of their punishments can go on, and God will not. When David sinned and killed an innocent man and took his wife, God said, I'll forgive you. He should have been put to death. God should have killed him. He said, but the sword will never depart from your house. He had wars all the way to the end. And when he wanted to build the temple, the Lord said, you can't because you're a man of blood. And the child died. And he said, nevertheless, you did this secretly. I'll do it before. It 20 years later, his own son sleeps with his concubines and tries to kill him and overthrow him. And God was saying these were punishments for his one night stand with Bathsheba and for killing her husband to cover it up because she got pregnant. So he went to the end. He's called a righteous man and he took the punishment. But it followed him. And anything under the Old Testament, God can do to a Christian. So he can punish us, temporal, or he can say, nope, this ain't going to ever be removed. I want you to remember this so you don't repeat these things. See, a lot of people think, oh, they can send with immunity and just say, I'll forgive it, and everything's forgotten. That's not true. The chase of the Lord is to discipline and teach lessons. And Paul said, if we judge ourselves, we'll not be judged of the Lord. So the sooner you try to make things right, the better. 
because the longer you proceed, God will take it up, and he won't be uh, as soft as you will be on yourself. So it's better to deal with these things, okay? So he's magnified. He was called a Gentile apostle. He was the one. He had a unique ministry. He had unique insights that they didn't get, but he was not the foundation. Those 12 and the, re the replacement, for they had to be with Jesus for the three and a half years and live during his ministry and observe all the things he did. Paul wasn't even saved till years later. So he could not, as the false teachers say, they think he's the 13th apostle and all that. No, that's not true. He was a unique apostle and he was called for a special mission but he was not of the foundation. No more than Uzziah was to act as a high priest. He was not to do it. That was not his calling. So he says in 14, if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen, my Jewish people, and save some of them, the remnant. That's what he's talking about, okay? Now he's speaking in verse 13, uh, he's speaking to the Gentiles. Remember in Romans, he goes back and forth talking to the Jewish Christians, the Jews, and the Gentiles. He's Because they're sometimes warring against each other. and They think they're special, and he didn't like this division. So he straightened them out on what they're supposed to be believing and how they're supposed to be acting. Okay, So he says, I'll move some of them. And if I can do that, I'm fulfilling God's word is what he's saying, that he can do that, and he's fulfilling God's word, what God said he would do. 15, for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? He's repeating the previous verse in 12. They'll come to the Lord. They'll be made alive if they come back, the remnant, and some of them take up their walk with the Lord individually, the remnant, okay? So he was mainly, at first, a Gentile apostle, okay? Now look at Acts number 9.15. When he was called by the Lord, and the Lord appeared to him, he said, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. That's how he started off. So he appeared and told him this. So his greatest ministry was apostle to the nations, the governments. And then he still, being a Jew, he had a ministry to the Jews. And that's why he kept going to the synagogues every Sabbath, second or third Sabbath, and teaching to him. For 40 years after the crucifixion of the Lord, they're still working with rebellious Jews. And then once the system was destroyed, they weren't sent to them. They were treated like any Gentile. You have no privilege. 40 is testing time. He said, I'm testing you like I did Jerusalem. And they failed. But I'm giving you opportunity because you weren't there and didn't hear all these things. Okay? So you had righteous Jews throughout the empire, and they were to be given the gospel. And some repented, and some turned to the Lord. And some did not, okay? But the elect, the remnant, the apostles and disciples, like I say, for the first several years, they were all Jewish Christians. They listened and submitted to Christ to become the called, the chosen, the elect. 
So God built his church of mostly Gentiles after that. But the foundation of the apostles and Christ were Jews. Jesus himself, salvation, is of the Jews. The covenant. It took years for some Jewish Christians to recognize Paul as a special apostle. He was always defending himself to them. He never had to defend himself to the Gentile churches. They accepted him what he was. He had to defend himself. A lot of the Jews that would accept that. And we talk about Christian Jews. They thought he's a little sort of outside. And yet even Peter said he's got more revelation than some of us got. And later on, Peter says they'll twist his scripture They'll twist his words as they do all scripture. Peter lets us know he considered Paul's apostle uh, writings, epistles, to be scripture. He tells us this. He said he has some hard things to say. And that's Peter. So Peter had a high regard for him. Okay. So they recognized him as having a special apostleship to the Gentile world. And they stayed with mainly the Jews until the destruction of Israel and the temple and Jerusalem and was scattered. So the Gentile Christians saw him as a spiritual father, more so than any of the others, because he got so many of them converted and went out. And then some of the apostles, even Peter and others, went and ministered to them. But they recognized Paul as their spiritual father. He birthed them. Even Paul said, one time he said, shall I come and you be born again? We're talking to them that they're getting out of their faith and not trusting the Lord. So he was often defending himself to the Jewish Christian leaders, but he did not do that with the Gentile churches. They accepted him. Okay. So again, he's saying, what's going to happen? Like in verse 12, if they fall and reject it, now God has turned his special attention and grace to the nations. And he's not dealing with Israel. He's laid them aside. They don't count. Only the remnant, which is a part of this new covenant. The others, he don't care anymore. He said, one day, though, I'll deal with them. But the church is given grace and truth. It's the new covenants, better than anything the Jews had. He not only took it away from them and abolished it, he gave a better covenant to the Gentile nations, okay? And that was to provoke them to jealousy also. He doesn't waste anything, okay? 16, if the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. What is he saying? The first, the first fruits, the remnant, Abraham, and some of the prophets, they were holy. They were consecrated, given to the Lord, dedicated to him. So they were the first fruits. They remained faithful. And at first the root is holy, then the branches are too, those who followed them. First Christians, like we say, they were Jewish Christians. They were the first fruits. And the Gentile branches were grafted in. They became a part of. And in God's eyes, he said they're Jews. Paul said the Gentiles in the church, they're true Jews. He calls them a holy nation. He don't call Israel a holy nation. He calls them a rebellious people. He ain't dealing with them. They don't come through Jesus 
They're just like any other pagan nation. They have no standing, okay? But if some of the branches were broken off or cut off, and you being a while, all of these talking to the Gentile Christians, were grafted in among them, and you became partakers with them of the rich root of the olive tree, the life of God, the promises. With us, it's Christ, the vine, okay? So he's saying, so they were cut off and broken off because of the rebellion and the stubbornness and refusing to keep the covenant and follow the Lord. They did this for generation after generation, kept rebelling. So now go to the Gentile. I picked a, a wild people. They weren't no more special than you were when I chose you, Jews. That's what he was saying. And they had no promises and privileges. They had no covenants and prophecies like the Jews were given, the first fruit. So you had promises, law, privileges, because of Abraham and David and the prophets until you forfeited it. He said, till they rebelled, became stubborn, and he got tired of it, okay? So in verse 18, read this. He's talking to Christians. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them, and you became partakers of this, verse 18, do not become arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, he's talking about the branches that are cut off. Don't think I'm special. You've been cut off and now I've been put there. Ha, ha, ha. He's saying, don't think that way. Remember that it is you who supports the root, but the root supports you. No, so ultimately, you're still relying on the Jewish foundation that were Jews and the remnant that was faithful. So if you want to get proud, think about this. You're no more special than these Jews that have come in. Most of them are cut off and they don't count no more. But don't you get arrogant toward the remnant. Don't you think you can think you're better than they are. See, we find Paul teaching in the scripture, the veil's been removed. As far as God is concerned spiritually, there's no Jew or Gentile, no male or female, no bond, no slave. He's looking at them individually, and these human things are secondary. They have their place and their authorities, but he's not looking at them spiritually as a male or female. Their spirit's different, okay? And so that's what he's talking about. So don't get arrogant toward them because you're still partaking of their privileges and what they instituted. And Abraham was the first Jew, but he was the man of faith. And that's how you came into the second covenant, through the experience and how Abraham showed you. He said, so be like your father Abraham of faith. So we see Abraham counted for both the nations and the Jewish people. He was a foundation. He was the first fruits. Okay. Verse 19. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. He says, so that's what you're saying. Yeah, rebellious ones were cut off, and God came after you. And he said, I'll have a people, so I'll go to the Gentiles and treat them special. Okay. And he says, that's quite right in verse 20. They were broken off for their unbelief or disobedience, but you stand by your faith. You don't stand by self-righteousness 
self-effort and the works of the law and thinking you're special and privileged and being arrogant about it. He said, you stand by faith. Do not be conceited. Do not be arrogant and think you're special. Something in you. It wasn't. God chose to do that. He said, do not be conceited, but fear. Have a holy fear. And he tells us why. Well, so he's well said, yeah, because of unbelief and rebellion, they were cut off. They rejected the righteous one by faith and held to their law of righteousness and self-effort and self-rules and regulations. You didn't do that. You accepted Christ. So don't be proud, but have godly fear that knowing you're not any better or special than they were, that God just chose to be gracious to you. So he's, he's saying, remember that. It wasn't because you were special or anything. He didn't choose the Jewish nation because they were special. And he told them that. You weren't any different than the rest of them. It was me who was gracious that that's what counted. That's what he's talking about. Verse 21. People need to read this. Once saved, always saved people. And a lying Calvinistic people. If they read this one, they'd never believe any of their garbage. For if God did not spare the natural branches, the Jewish people, he cut most of them off. They're not true Jews. They're lost, headed for hell if they don't come to Christ. He will not spare you either. He said, oh, oh, you're under grace and truth and a better covenant, but you can still be cut off is what he's saying. Okay. He did not spare those who were privileged and you were not called and you were not special, but God decided to favor and be gracious toward you and he did not want the world to be lost, anybody. You were not special and favored. He could reject you later if you rebel like they did. So he's saying, be careful. And you've been given more privileges. How much greater? Hebrews says, you think your punishment's going to be if you trample the blood of Christ and insult the spirit of grace. He was talking about those who were saved. He was saying, you better stay with him then because you're going to get more punishment if you don't because he's been more gracious to you. Behold then, verse 22, the kindness and the severity of God, the goodness and the severity of God, the harshness. To those who fell, harshness and severity, the Jews as a whole. But you, you've come into Christ, you Gentiles. He's been good and kind. But if you don't remember it, you'll be cut off also. The terminology, you will be cut off, not you might. Some people say, well, he's just using, no, he's being plain. He says, you will be cut off if you don't abide in his goodness. That means walk in the spirit, remain bearing fruit and following the Lord. See, there's conditions to all covenants. There's never a one-side covenant. The institution of the covenant is one-sided, but not the reception of the covenant, okay? So just remember his goodness and goodwill toward you and his harshness and punishment toward those who rebelled. So you Gentile Christians, he showed great goodness and grace. Jesus came with more grace and truth than the law. Yet if you do not continue in his goodness, his faith and his grace, you also will be cut off, not might be cut off or could be cut off, but will be cut off. That throws them for a loop. 
The one saved always people try to twist when Jesus said, every vine in me don't bear fruit, I cut it off. Well, they say, really, what say? Jesus said they were in me. He didn't say they professed to be me. He said they were in me. And if they don't bear proper fruit, my father will cut them off. So he didn't make no bones about it, okay? So read it, and you will see the will be and not the might be, okay? So much for once saved, always saved. So much for license to sin of the professing false Christians. It's all grace. Grace alone, faith alone. Martin Luther was wrong, okay? He was just as bad as the Roman Catholics. That's why he did not accept the book of Revelations. He did not accept the book of James because they refute that. And a great warning, those who reject the book of Revelation, he said their part in the book of life will be taken out if they alter it. So Martin Luther, he may have considered some things before he died, but it's not faith alone. It's faith that produces works, obedience, and continuance with the Lord. Yeah. So that faith alone is not taught in Scripture. It's a fallacy that most Protestants believe as much as the heresies the Roman Catholics believe. Okay. 23. And they also, the ones who've been cut off, the Jews, if they do not continue in their rebellion and unbelief, will be grafted in. So besides the remnant, the ones who've been cut off and that were rebellious, they can repent. And one of the promises God made to the nation of Israel that he doesn't go back on, he said, I'll punish you seven times for your sins, but if you repent, he promised them, I'll listen to you. I'll punish you, but I'll listen to you. He didn't promise that to Nineveh. And yet 40 days, he said, I'll destroy you. He didn't say, if you repent, I'll spare you. They fasted and prayed and said, perhaps. But they had no promise or no guarantee. And God spared them. He didn't say, if you repent, I'll spare you. He just simply said, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days. And they decided. They better try to get right. Well, what have they got to lose if he's going to destroy them? See, because they didn't have those promises. The Jews were given those promises. If you repent and come back and you take your punishment. That's what he told Israel several times. After I punished you double for your sins, I'll take you up again. See, that was part of the covenant promises. Okay. He didn't promise that to the Gentile nations. Okay. So if they don't continue in their rebellion, they can be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. So, see, God said as far as the individual branches, they can be added and taken away in any covenant. But the church will stand, and the covenants will stand. The ship's going to heaven. You either stay on the ship or you jump overboard, but the train's going to the haven. You can get on the train or get off. That don't alter where the train's going. It alters where you're going if you make the wrong decision. Okay? So we're seeing in verse 23, and we'll continue with this in the next lesson, that God is warning the Christian, unless you abide in his grace and goodness. And how do you abide in his grace and goodness? You obey him and you're led of the Spirit, and you don't find your life. You're his disciple. You're not your own. That's how you abide in the goodness of the covenant. Lord, give us wisdom and give us understanding and practical understanding of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.